All right, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 9 with me and hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, we have prayed, we have turned to you this morning. We have now read your word, your passage for the day. And so now we expect you to teach us. Holy Spirit, would you bring illumination to each of our hearts, to our minds? May we grasp the truth and the glory of your word that we might glorify you. Lord, please help me to serve these dear friends in Jesus' name. Now, from the earliest part of Matthew's gospel, he has endeavored to tell the story of God's forgiveness towards sinners. Beginning with his genealogy in chapter 1, he specifically mentions people whose lives were marked by terrible sin. Rahab and Ruth both came from pagan, idolatrous, and Gentile nations. And Rahab was a terribly immoral woman, as well as we read about David, who was a man after God's own heart, but who was an adulterer and a murderer. And yet these sinful men and women experience God's mercy and the forgiveness of their sins. And in our passage today in 9, 9 through 13, Matthew tells us a story. He tells us his conversion story. Now, it's not a long story. It's not a dramatic story. And, and ultimately, he doesn't focus on himself, but he focuses on Jesus Christ. Up through chapter 9, we've read the numerous miracles Jesus has performed to show who he is, which is the Son of God. He, he healed a disfigured leper. He, he raised a dying man to life. He, he delivered the demon possessed and many, many more healings. He calmed a storm and he gave a paralyzed man the ability to walk. But in this encounter with Matthew that we just read, we see Christ's power and we see Christ's authority and we see the greatest miracle of all, the salvation of a sinful person. Now, Matthew writes his story for a reason. Matthew tells his conversion story. This is his testimony. This is his story about his encounter with God. And it's, it's, it's done with humility. He doesn't, he doesn't dramatize it. He just tells us the facts of what happened. And he writes his story for a purpose. 
He writes this story to remind us of what Jesus has done. And not just for him, but for us as well and for all who put their faith in Christ. Three points in this story that we will see. We will see a miraculous conversion, a great celebration, and then actually the main point of this passage. So a miraculous conversion. Now, as verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, now, what happened? Where, where did Jesus pass from? But if you read just a bit earlier in, in 9, verse 4, But as Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. And so here we see Jesus has been, he had just come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had been to the other side, where on the way there, calming the storm, meeting the demon-possessed men, coming back. He's now back in Capernaum, and now he he is encountering crowds again. He's healed a paralytic man. And he's, he's used the words, rise up and walk, and your sins are forgiven. And as the Pharisees are incensed, and the crowds are amazed. And it's in this, in this setting of, of the crowds that Jesus, Jesus, in a sense, separates himself a bit from the crowd. And he turns away from them, and he fixes his eyes on one man. The one man in all this crowd who seems to show no interest in him whatsoever. It is not that Matthew didn't know anything about Jesus. For surely living in Capernaum, he would have heard of all the miracle stories. But as a tax collector, he had more, one more important matter on his mind, and that was money. Most likely he was, his tax booth was just by the Sea of Galilee. And as the, the, the boats would come in, he would be responsible for putting a tax on the goods that came in. And the goods, the tax would go to the Romans, but whatever he could exact beyond that would be his, which he did a lot of. He was a wealthy man. And as all this crowd is around Jesus, his focus is on the money coming his way. His booth was what was most important to him, not the person of Jesus Christ. And Matthew lets us know he wasn't interested in following Jesus around because he stayed in his tax booth. He was, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Miracles are happening. Demons are being dispossessed from people. Storms are being calmed. The paralyzed are walking. The sick are being raised, healing many, many more. And Matthew simply doesn't care. But Jesus cares. And he walks up to Matthew and simply says, follow 
me. Now, Matthew condenses his story. If you read in Mark and Luke, Mark's Mark's gospel basically tells us the same exact story in the same way. Luke adds a little bit more, but there's, there's not a lot that Matthew tells us about his conversion. If you've ever heard somebody tell their conversion story, it can often take an hour or two. And you're thinking, just get to the point. Well, Matthew gets to the point. Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew immediately responds. And he rises up and, and Matthew records that he rose and he rose and followed him. This was a significant response. In Luke 5.28, the Luke's telling of this story, Luke tells us that Matthew left everything behind. Everything behind. He left his tax booth behind. It seems like he left the money behind. He left his future behind, his future as a tax collector. He left it all behind to simply follow Christ. That alone is an entire message of leaving all behind. But that is not where we're going today. Jesus's, Jesus's statement in, in 9, 6 that we just read earlier, that he has the authority to forgive sins, literally comes to pass in this moment. Jesus puts on display, he, he vividly describes at this moment what it means for a sinner to come to faith that he does have the authority to forgive sins. That Matthew, this tax collector who is vile, who is hated, who has betrayed his own people to gain money, this man rises from his booth, leaves everything behind, as Luke says, and follows Christ. And it's because he, for, he was forgiven. He experienced the forgiveness of Christ. This is, this is one of the most hated men in Jewish society. Earlier, Jesus had miraculously healed and impossibly healed this disfigured leper. He had given this paralytic the ability to, to walk. But the greatest miracle that he has to offer is saving grace to this vile man, this man so guilty of greed and idolatry and the betrayal of his own people. And, and how does this happen? Because it wasn't that Matthew just happened to be in the right place at the right time. It wasn't that that was the booth that Jesus just happened to walk by. It happened because of God's sovereign purpose to save him. Matthew was on Jesus's radar screen. It, it didn't matter that he was disinterested. It didn't matter that he was undeserving as great a sinner as he was. In God's sovereign plan, he was not too far removed. No one is too far removed from the grace of God and God's eternal purpose. Not, not Matthew, not you, not me, not anyone. God, God saw what needed to happen, and he made it happen. 
And it doesn't matter who that person is. And you've heard me share this story before, but it is one story that that has never left me. It was years ago, and it was actually, um, I was at a church. I ran into a girl I went to high school with. It was 20-some-odd years later, and she came up to me, and she said, I can't believe you are here. You are the last person I ever thought could get saved because she knew me in high school. And that's all you need to know. (laughs) But God knew me. And God came to me. And God said, follow me. And the gospel of God's grace, it is irresistible through the working of the Holy Spirit. And that is what brought Matthew to faith in Christ. This is a miraculous conversion. The Holy Spirit drew Matthew to Christ because his, his plan of salvation was in place. Paul tells us in, in 2 Timothy 1.9, which is a wonderful passage about how God is at work in us. 2 Timothy 1.9 Paul writes, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And here's here's what's so powerful, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Do Do you get that? Before time began, from eternity past. Before the beginning of all time, Matthew was going to have this encounter with Jesus. And he was going to be born again. The saving grace of God was going to come to Matthew at that very moment because God had planned it long before this world existed, long before time existed. God in eternity had planned for his sovereign purpose and his sovereign glory. And the same story is your story. You're sitting here today, if you are a believer in Christ, before the ages began, God planned that. And if you are not a believer, if you are not a follower of Christ, you're not sure what you believed. The gospel is offered to you today. Christ's saving grace is there for you. All you are to do is to respond, to rise up and follow him, to put your trust in his saving grace, that he has saved you from your sins, that he came and he died on a cross for your sins, that he gave his life as a sacrifice for you. That is what God intends. And that's what he's done for you and me. And that is what he did for Matthew. God's wonderful plan throughout the ages. And like Matthew, brothers and sisters, our salvation is also the greatest miracle of all. Your your salvation is a great miracle. Not as 
outwardly dramatic as a leper being cleansed or dramatic as a blind, blind man seeing or a, or a paralyzed man walking. But it is still the greatest miracle when someone who is spiritually dead, dead men and women come to faith in Christ through God's sovereign and saving grace. And that is this wonderful, miracle, miraculous conversion. But secondly, Matthew goes on to tell us what happened after he is converted. There is a great celebration. Verse 10, and Jesus, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so we see that Jesus is He's come to Matthew's house. He's come and he's sitting there. And Luke gives us a little bit more detail in chapter 5. It says, and, and Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And so Matthew has this celebration responding to Jesus' call. Not only does he immediately follow, but he celebrates. He celebrates his new life in Christ, and he has a party. He has a great feast, as Matthew describes it. And he has it not just with Jesus. He invites his friends. And as a vile, wicked betraying tax collector in Jewish society, the only friends this man has are people just like him. And that's who he invites. And he invites sinners. There's no description of who those sinners are, but he invites sinners. And with Matthew's characteristic bold behold here, you see, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, Matthew wants us to know, behold, look, see who came, see who is invited, tax collectors and sinners. You know, in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin in Luke 15, Jesus tells his disciples that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so I tell you, Uh, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every conversion is a celebration. There was a celebration in heaven. Angels were rejoicing over your life when you came to faith in Christ. Jeff says this celebration takes place here. And what is striking about this party scene is, is these people that are there, these tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts of society, and many were there. He, he had this great party, and he, it's because he wanted them to meet Jesus. What made this feast so great was not just Matthew's conversion, but but brothers and sisters, it was Jesus' willingness to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. It was Jesus' willingness to give that girl from high school eyes to see that God was greater than the guy she knew 20 some odd years earlier. 
And this is, this is what makes this celebration, this feast so great, is that these men and women showed up, these sinners. And brothers, sisters, our, our conversion should today still be a cause for celebration. When was the last time you celebrated your conversion? When was the last time that you thought about all that took place? We, we can easily lose sight of who we were, who we once were, and what God did. And if you remember, Jesus says, He who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. To be reminded of our conversion, to be reminded of who we were, to be reminded of where could our life be today if God had not. This would be cause for celebration, to always be a reminder of Jesus coming to earth for our sake, to receive our judgment, to suffer the wrath we deserve, to die our death on the cross that we might have life We celebrate. We celebrate by being grateful. Grateful that we are born again. Grateful. And we never forget. We never forget our conversion. We never forget. Never forget that you and I belonged to the group that attended Matthew's party. We would have been invited. And then finally, point three, the main point, this miraculous conversion, this great celebration, and now the main point of the story. The simplicity of of Matthew's conversion story is the main point of this passage. Jesus came to save, not just Matthew, but others as well. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he being Jesus, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. These outcast friends of of Matthew's needed Christ. He knew that. And that's why he invited them to meet Jesus. They too were sinners in need of a savior. And the A-list people, the A-list crowd, the, the popular crowd, the religious crowd, they didn't see their need for Christ. It's often, it's often the outcasts. It's often those who are marginalized in our society that recognize their poverty, their poor in spirit. And it's why those who are poor in spirit are blessed. The point Jesus is subtly making here is that all outcasts need a doctor. And all are outcasts. All are in need of a physician. This is not what the Pharisees and the scribes believed. They were secure in their own righteousness. They were comfortable in their religion and their traditions and their behavior. They saw no need for Christ's salvation because they were good people. I'm a good person. I fast twice a week. I give alms. I go to the temple every day. 
I give sacrifices. I'm a good person. Now, what is clear to me in this passage is the disciples, as they watched, they recognized, you know what? The scribes and Pharisees weren't invited to the party. (laughs) Maybe that's why they were a bit offended. But they were close by, most likely looking through a window and watching what they considered the scandal of Jesus sharing a meal with unclean outcasts of society, seeing the lawless and the godless and the hopeless sinners that Jesus hung around with was maddening to them. How could Jesus defile himself? They didn't see the party through Matthew's eyes that they didn't, they didn't see it with mercy. They didn't see it with joy, but with contempt. They saw sinners. They saw the unclean. And they saw Jesus being near them. And oh, brothers and sisters, what a joy that is for us that Jesus was willing to come near us. Here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy God sharing a meal and fellowshipping, intimate fellowship, because this custom in Israel of reclining at table was an intimate way of expressing friendship. And Jesus was doing this with tax collectors and sinners, unclean Jews and Gentiles, extending to them fellowship with God. And the Pharisees missed the whole point that Matthew that Matthew was trying to communicate. You read Mark's gospel and you see that Mark records many of these people who reclined at table with Jesus, many of these sinners and outcasts and wicked and vile tax collectors, many of these people followed Jesus. He came to them. Now, the disciples, they knew who Jesus was, but the Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't understand that this is who Jesus is. They didn't understand that the holy Lord of the universe happily sat at a dinner table with these detestable and reprehensible sinners. The scribes and Pharisees wrongly assumed this. Here's what they wrongly assumed. They wrongly assumed that because Jesus sat with them, ate with them, talked with them, was in the same house with them, that he approved of their way of life. Now, before you come down too hard on the scribes and Pharisees, consider how you think about those around you who live a life opposite of all you know to be true according to God's word. Those who you might consider to be the outcasts of our day in our Christian culture, whether it's gays or lesbians, drug addicts, Democrats, liberals, socialists, atheists, those who are transgender and many others. Who are the outcasts in your mind? As Christians, we, we can wrongly believe that if we spend time with people like this, we are giving them approval of their way of life. But Jesus shows us here that is not true. 
It's the very people he has come to be with, and it's the very people he has called his church to reach out to. These tax collectors and sinners, they willingly came because they knew who Jesus was and they knew what he believed. But you know what they also knew? They knew he loved them. That's why they came. The scribes and Pharisees would never have a meal with these kinds of people. And so they asked this question, why, 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 Jesus, do you have a meal with these people? And Jesus just responds with Hosea 6.6. If you read the, the book of Hosea and you see the love of God displayed through a man who is married to an immoral woman. And you see where he says, I desire mercy over sacrifice. He's, he's telling the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, go and learn this. It is not your righteousness that brings you close to God. It's your mercy. It's not your sacrifice that brings you close to God. It's your love. It's your, your mercy. You demand sacrifice and you demand obedience, but completely miss the love of God for those in need, those who are lost. And brothers and sisters, our church cannot do that. We cannot miss The needs that those around us who do not know Christ have. The outcasts, those who, who we would not be really interested in hanging around with. But Jesus makes it clear. He, this is precisely why he came. Not to heal those who, who do not see themselves as, as sick, but to heal those who are sick with sin. He said, I came to call sinners to life, not to those who find life in their own righteousness. And rather than being close to God, these scribes and Pharisees were far from him. It never occurred to them that their way of life actually distanced themselves from God. And so here is this gospel story. Jesus, Jesus right here gives us the gospel. He says, for I came not to call right the righteous, but sinners. That's the entire point of Matthew's gospel. Everyone is sick with sin and everyone needs a physician, particularly this vile tax collector, because he wants us to know that this story is not about how he was converted, but that he, a vile sinner, was converted. That God was faithful and merciful and loving and sovereign in his choice to save him. An unrighteous man who three times uses the word sinner in this short passage because that's the people that Jesus came for. From the very beginning of his gospel in Matthew 1.21, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew, Matthew's gospel, brothers and sisters, it teaches us about discipleship. It teaches us about God's kingdom. It teaches us about Jesus' power and authority as we see healing and so much more. But this crucial passage right here brings it all into perspective. Jesus came. That's the incarnation being mentioned right there. I came. I came. I left heaven. I left heaven for you. I left heaven for you. Celebrate that. 
I left heaven for you, not to call righteous people. And there are no righteous. Paul tells us in Romans 3, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. And that's who he came for. And so here is, here is our, let us apply this wonderful passage to our lives to remember our conversion, celebrate our conversion of God's sovereignty and, and saving us from our sinfulness and his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace that, that you might always remain grateful and not just, yeah, I was born again 35 years ago. No, no, there, there was a celebration. And then secondly, consider how you might be a friend of sinners and who you might show the love of Christ to. And I I have this question for you to take home with you today. If I'm still here in a couple of minutes. Who do you invite to your house for dinner? Who do you invite to your house for dinner. There's a world out there filled with tax collectors and sinners who need to have someone share a meal with them. Brothers and sisters, let us be that. That is who we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you that We celebrate being here today because you came to us. You came to seek and to save the lost, and we've been saved. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the joy that we now have. Thank you for the eternity we look forward to. Thank you for all that you have done in our lives. Thank you for your transforming grace. You have, you, your plan for the ages has not stopped with our salvation. It continues with our transformation. It continues with our glorification. It continues for all eternity. Oh, may we celebrate that. In Christ's name, amen.